Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for Native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. No prayers, no buffalo speeches, and no spirituality shows. While this podcast does not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do take a tough look at history, oppression, and our survival. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Sagon, hey welcome to Let's Talk Native. Today, I want to talk not about religion necessarily, but I want to talk about whether we as a, as a people and or whether individuals, especially those who follow various faiths or religions or attend church or whatever else, whether we should be holding them accountable for not just the 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 things that we read about in the news today. I mean, obviously, we, we've seen the clergy sex abuse scandals and that kind of stuff. And and to a certain extent, you know, individuals are being held accountable and, and some of the church hierarchy. But I'm talking about historically I, the, the church. And and not just the Catholic Church, but but all these Christian de- denominations have contributed to incredible atrocities that Native people and Black people have experienced, and yet we seem to embrace them. We we embrace you know the faith. We embrace the the various denominations of church, you know. And frankly, it's not even just the Christian religions. I mean, I, when I think about the role that other um, of you know other faith-based systems you know have played in the oppression of people and yet in a way people are are led into believing that there's some sort of redemption there so i i I do want to talk about holding the faith holding the religion holding the church holding church leaders holding them accountable and because it's not all the same thing you know I, i i hear all the time where people say well, but that's not really Christianity when you talk about, you know, let's say the, the role that the, the church has played in operating the residential schools. Oh, they weren't, re- they weren't really being Christian. Well, that gets into a, into a strange, <laughs> you know, a, another strange conversation. I mean, when we, when we look at the rise of, of, of churches, mega churches, and, and the wealth associated with, with, uh, with, with faith, you know, you know, look, I remember, you know, my, my children never raised them as, um, with, with any of that, that with religion. And when they would see a church, they thought they were castles. I mean, so what does that say? <laughs> what does that say when, when these, you know, these huge buildings, oftentimes, you know, ornate bu- buildings look more like a, a monarchy than, than the the so-called humble Jesus loves you kind of uh, you know uh, message that that people want to try to put out there today. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, these churches were tied directly to the monarchs of Europe, and in fact, they played a role in legitimizing the monarchs of Europe. So all of the the oppression that those monarchs were involved in, the church was directly involved in too. So that's what I want to talk about. So. Should we hold them accountable? And how do we hold them accountable? And when we do this, does it 
should it make us question, you know, our faith if, if we believe in some of those systems? Because uh, look, so from the the earliest papal bulls, you know, and this is before there was anything other than just the Catholic Church. From the earliest papal bulls, there was this notion that the church and and the and the Christian nations of Europe had a responsibility to defeat the tyranny of paganism. Yeah, I mean that's the, that's the language they used. They they referred to native people, pagans in in, in general, as the enemies of their church, the enemies of Christ. Whether we had anything to do with with being any kind of adverse, you know, or uh, averse enemy to them or not, that's the way they cast us. They cast as 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 their enemy. And so, with the idea of of trying to convert or, or destroy us, or in the in the name of their their religions, save our souls, they could they could kill us. Um, and at the moment of, of death, they could they they could suggest that they they somehow saved us. They saved us by killing us. So that's kind of the atrocity side. But but it doesn't just stop with with blatant killing. It gets into everything from from slavery to genocide in general. You know, theft of land. So I want to talk about you know some of the atroc atrocities that we can you know, directly connect to the church. The churches. And then wrestle a little bit with this, you know, with our relationship with faith, especially these these faith based religions, um, and how we reconciled. You know, we obviously didn't reconcile it at the time. We we just kind of it goes to some of that cognitive dissonance as I talked about in other shows. But how do we reconcile it now? I mean, when we because we know so much more today than we did. You know, when, frankly, when things were at its worst, when, when the most heinous acts were being committed against our people. But now that, that we, we have survived, we have, you know, many didn't, but we have survived so much of that genocide. And we live to talk about genocide and we live to talk about our identity and that kind of thing. How do we reconcile within our communities, the relationship between native people and churches. And, and I ask the same thing of black people, but how do we reconcile that? And whether it's in our interpersonal relationships with people who may have strong feelings about church and, and religion versus some of us who are, you know, really still associate those atrocities with our current situation even if those many of the most heinous acts were committed long ago. So that's what I want to talk about. So again, if we start with, with the, um, with the role that the Vatican, the, the popes played in, in even directing the aggression of the monarchs, you know, so whether we're talking about the crusades, you know, or you know, the war against paganism or, in in our situation, when you know Columbus sails, and then they in, in Cabot sails, and all of these other uh, these other folks make it to our shores, and there's an immediate judgment, and, and of course the the first judgment is is really trying to determine whether because we lack the background that they have, especially the religious background, are we even human. So there becomes this debate over whether a pagan, whether a, a native person who has a, a, a completely different worldview based on this, this 
complete isolation from, you know, from the European version of religion, whether that makes us, you know, some, somehow we, you know, less than human. So that's, that's where it starts. And, and, and the behavior and the, the acts that are committed against our people are based on this, you know, this, this, this white supremacy, the supremacy doctrine that becomes associated with their, their religious beliefs and looking at us as something less than them or as their enemy simply because we don't share the same beliefs. So it's clear that the, that the role that the, the church is playing in terms of imperialism, you know, colonism, colonialism, I should say, or colonizing other, other places, and the conditions by which or, or how Native people and how people will be treated in the midst of this colonization. The church plays a big role in all that. Now, while we are being oppressed because of our different belief systems, there is an effort even within the monarchies and government in general to have a certain level of conversion or what they call uh, proselytizing. I mean, this, this idea that they're going to try to convert us from either having no um, faith-based religion um, or, again, trying to, to establish that, that we as a, as a different people have a soul that they can save. I mean, it, it, the, the irony was that even if we died, again, if they could claim that they had saved our soul, then they can suggest what they were doing was in keeping with their faith. I mean, Huna Parasera, you know, a, a guy who was recently made a saint by the Catholic Church, he kept records of, of the children, that, uh, and, there were, and there were very detailed records of the children that died in his custody. But because he could, he could claim to have baptized them, it didn't matter that they died because their, save, their souls were saved. So, again, I think it's, it's important that we understand specifically the actions that took place. I mean, you know, even, even the spread of, of disease intentionally and, and you know, less intentional, I guess, but certainly intentionally, there was a, there was a sense that, that if, if, we were, if we survived these diseases, that were spread with disease blankets or by jamming kids into residential schools when they know that tuberculosis was running rampant, they could say, well, it's God's will. So they could use their own religion to justify our deaths or, or our survivability. And, and of course, this would have, you know, devastating effects to, to our people, uh, you know, from a, from a cultural standpoint, but because it was so oppressive, and, and you think about what, you know, that all, a variety of churches, it wasn't just the Catholic Church. In fact, the Catholic Church was probably in the minority when it came to the operation of these residential schools. It was more of the Anglican churches that were, that were running them. Um, so the, the experience that our children were, were being impacted by in terms of not just physical abuse, but sexual abuse, the mental cruelty, the stripping away of identity, this would change everything in our lives from, from what would be genuine rites of passage, you know, as, a, as native people would be eliminated. The relationship with the family connections would be eliminated. And the idea that you could, you could convince people that if they just prayed, they, you know, their survivability would, would be 
determined by their level of faith that was being imposed upon them. So as we get through you know the, the the bulk of that residential era which which really at its at its highest point was was fairly recent it was in the 1970s we have this massive change in how native people perceive themselves and their relationship with the dominant religions that were a part of the oppression that that we experienced so today we still have you know our older generations that are still very much locked into this uh, into this this faith that was imposed up, up, uh, upon them. And it changes how you view morality, how, how you view ethics, how you view politics, how you view your, um, your relationship with the United States in, in God they trust. And, and of course, how we respond to adversity. Because one of the, uh, the real acts um, or the real changes was when we were convinced that we needed to just be a prayerful people rather than a resistant people. And that this faith that was imposed upon us would, would lead us. And then we, we even get convinced that, you know, through this, through a lot of the, the biblical rhetoric that, that if we, if we're meek, we'll, we'll, we'll inherit our earth back. We'll, we'll, we'll get the, we'll, we'll be redeemed in the afterlife. So whatever oppression we experience during this life on earth, <laughs> that if we adopt their faith and we believe what they believe and we accept their version of, uh, of, of a truth, that we will be, will be redeemed in the end. And so it changes even the dynamic. I mean, even our, our willingness to push back. So when I look at where we're at today, and I still hear people talking about being a quote unquote prayerful people. I mean, there is not a day that goes by that, that as I'm looking at native sites on, on Facebook or, you know, or any place else, you know, even when I'm looking at any social media, then I'm, I'm going to see plenty of, you know, pray for me, pray for this one. This one's, this person's sick. This person's had something happen to their family. We're at, we're asking for your prayers. That's, that's not our culture. But see, that's what we're, that's what we've experienced now. And so what I come back to is when do we hold any of that imposed belief system accountable for not only what transpired in the past, not only the doctrine of Christian discovery, not only residential schools, not only sterilization programs, but assimilation programs that are still underway today. And religion is a part of those, that assimilation. I mean, if you change the way somebody views themselves spiritually you can control their mind because that's really where all this is this is this is all a, a lot of this is about mind control so i mean this is i mean this is where i where i i think many of us have got to ask ourselves the questions yeah we see because of the of you know the, the atrocities committed against children when it comes to the clergy sex abuse scandals, I mean, this is not just rocking the Catholic Church, but you know, you know, the, the Baptist Southern Baptists are going through it. Many, many of the churches that have had dominant roles in the lives of children are now starting to pay the price for, uh, you know, for the abuses that they they adopted in and as part of that church culture. So, while there's a certain reckoning that's happening within certain churches and, and church hierarchies. 
there's still no reckoning for the historical atrocities that have been committed. And, and, and how much it impacts what we do today. Because when the church starts to dictate morality and ethics, and, and, and the church has become these political propaganda tools, so you're even being you know, steered to what, what, are the, you know, the, what is a family value, for instance, because that's coming from the church. And it's not what we would have had previous to, you know, previously, you know, before, you know, European contact. See, today, we are becoming a little bit more aware of that. But we're only becoming aware of it because the, the, the sovereignty movement, I would say, and, you know, and you know, trying to understand identity and how much that identity is, is shifted depending on where you live um, and what the politics of a region can be. See, we're falling into all of that stuff. I mean, you know, we have a lot of conversation about en enlistment in, in the armed, sir, armed forces. There's this whole thing about God and country. And that's all came hand in hand with some of that, uh, that the church imposed assimilation that, that our people experienced. So when we asked the question, I mean, I got into a, a bit of a conversation, not an argument or anything, when, when somebody was talking about their, you know, a family member being, you know, serving two tours in, in Vietnam. And I'm thinking, yeah, but what did the Vietnamese ever do to Native people, uh, to our people? And yet we didn't just get drafted, we enlisted. And, and we continue to enlist, you know, at, at a higher rate than other people. And that's directly connected to how much, the residential schools with their, with their church, you know, um, with their church indoctrination. I mean, one of the things that, you know, was clear in what um, several generations experienced in these residential schools was, was a big dosage of church and a big dosage of, uh, of a military type discipline. It's, it's like, that's what we were trained to do. And so when, when I hear people say, Oh yeah, the reason we enlist is, is because of our warrior culture. No, <laughs> I think the reason people list is because of the indoctrination that came with church and schools and that kind of thing. So can we begin to hold our, perhaps our own faiths that, that, you know, that we've adopted through colonization or, or certainly the institution? Look, I know there's a difference between what you believe in and the institutions that brought that belief to you <clears throat> because many people within you know with especially with any of these these organized religions they will say well the religions are pure but the people who are promoting it are not so we get into this the debate of whether the whether the church is wrong versus the faith being wrong and in and this is this becomes a complicated conversation and i'm saying that we need to take stock in what really took place historically and how much the church has played a role in our indoctrination and how much the church continues to play a role in how much we push back. And by pushback, again, I go back to, you know, my original premise. When are we going to hold them accountable? And when I say them, I don't mean the actions of specific individuals. I just mean the whole idea of, of spreading Christendom into, into our territory, into, uh, in amongst our people. 
we we still look at these at these missionaries who you know who bring in you know medicines or you know or or whatever they do to try to endear themselves to native people as we don't look at it with the, with the life changing effects that 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 these churches and 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 again many denominations have had on our people not only are they bringing you know, sometimes disease with them even if they're bringing cures with them but they're bringing a, you know this this notion that yes the medicine works but it only works with faith and so you have to have faith in the medicine so you have to have faith uh, faith in in the people who brought it and you have to have the faith that that they shared when they brought it so we we end up in the, into this bit of a spiral in, in terms of how much we have to elevate somebody else's culture as we're trying to survive the impacts of, of, of the, those dominant cultures around us. So, you know, I, I, again, I think the, the question that I have is, is when and how do we hold them accountable? And can we, even as we're raising our children today, look, I, I know it's tough because when our little, our kids, our grand, my grandchildren right now, when they go into a public school, they're already having conversations at seven or eight years old on whether they believe in God or not. So, and they're being judged for that. I mean, I'm, you know, the same grandson that I had on my program here, his, one of the, the kids that he associated with in school, he can't hang out with him anymore because um, he, he actually in, in this exchange, well, do you believe in God? Why don't you believe in God? And why do you believe in God? Uh, made the one one of his friends question uh, or, or raise the question, can you say that you don't believe in God? And when he took that home, his parents freaked out and said, well, you, you, can't, you can't hang out with that child anymore. And, and, and while I will tell my grandkids not necessarily to, you know, to impose their views on their friends as it relates to this, these conversations don't happen in a vacuum. They happen because they're being challenged for not adopting the belief systems that these other kids, white kids, are being raised with. So, and so this is real life, folks. And this is what's, what's happening today on a daily basis. And we may not be paying attention to it. We may not be paying attention to what our kids are experiencing when there's a dominant culture and there's so much. I mean, look, the, the money says, in God we trust on it. They're still being told to pledge allegiance to the flag you know, one nation under God, all that stuff. And so when they don't, they stand out. And the pressure starts, you know, starts with our children right away. And if we're not picking this up and we're not giving them the foundation and, and look, we, we don't necessarily have to tell, you know, our own children that, well, people who believe in all that stuff are stupid. We don't, we don't have to have that conversation, but that might be the judgment that they take away because when we try to encourage our kids to think critically and the antithesis of thinking critically is having imposed church doctrine and dogma, you know, surround somebody. I mean, that challenges, look, we don't interpret, you know, the, the word of God, somebody else interprets it, you know, for us. And then, and then they tell us what it means. You know, the, the Bible, we're told what those passages mean. All of these mega churches, all of these, you know, these millionaires with, with these great big churches and their jets and that kind of stuff, they make their money by convincing you 
that they know the word of God and they're going to explain it to you. And they, and so all of their, they're going to help you. They're going to help you. They're going to help you understand what your feeble mind can't, uh, can't understand. So, you know, in many ways, these very, uh, these very church leaders are defying this notion of critical thinking. There's certain things you can't challenge. You can't challenge whether abortion is ever justified. Nope, the church already made that, that decision for you. In fact, I mean, there, there's a debate, you know, in many of these churches, whether, whether a candidate run for office can even, you know, whether the church can, uh, you know, it has the right to condemn that candidate because they haven't taken a strong position on, on certain things like gay marriage or, or, or abortion or whatever, or whatever else. And so the view is that these things become, the, that these things become uh, dictated by the church. So the church starts to tell you how to believe about things like gay marriage, about the right and the left politically. And they start telling you to what to believe and, and, and that your Christian background forbids you to embrace something like, you know, like abortion or even some elements of science and medicine. Look, we're seeing you know, today a lot of the lines that are being drawn politically, even on things like COVID-19, they start to get into not just a right and left, but a, but an evangelical right, and and a and perhaps a, a less you know faith based left. So it creeps in, and and I'm saying that that we need to be uh, you know cognizant of, of what our children are going through, and what we've gone through, and we have to think critically. I'm not going to ask somebody to pray for me. And, and, and look, and I'm not necessarily going to call somebody out if they say to me, oh, will you pray, will, will you pray for my loved one? Look, I'm going to tell somebody, look, they're in my thoughts, but I'm, I am not going, I'm not going to today do what generations of our people were convinced to do, not fight, not push back, just pray. Because I got to believe that many of our people were praying as they were being killed. I got to believe that many of our people were dying on their deathbeds from illnesses that were intentionally or, or, or neglected to, you know, that, that caused their deaths. And, they, and, they, and they, were, they had all kinds of family around them praying for them. And when I think about the, the heinous acts that were committed against our people, historically, and, and, I don't, and when I say historically, I just mean in the past. I don't mean 100 years ago. But for centuries, our people were being told to pray every step along that way. So, I mean, I, I, I joke because I say, when, when somebody says something about, you know, pray for me, you know, I, I spell it with an E instead of with an A. Because I think we have been the prey of, of, many, of much of, this, uh, of these faith-based religions, of these churches, of the personnel who run them. And I think it's time that we, we hold them accountable. And I, and I guess the, the people we need to hold most accountable are ourselves. Can we reflect on how much our minds, look, we know we're quick to talk about you know, what alcohol has done to our minds or, or what greed has done to our minds or what you know, capitalism, but, but are we really gonna hold the church responsible and accountable? Our minds have been, may have been more twisted 
by religious dogma than anything we ever drank or smoked or, or, or shot into our veins. And in many ways, this is even, even more deceitful. So I, do, I think we need to ask that question. And even as we're trying to hold individuals accountable, so whether it's a you know, an, sex abuse by, by a church member, we've also got to hold the church accountable. And if we hold the church accountable, then we've got to think about how much do we hold the religion and, and all of that religious dogma that comes with it that allowed the church to become what it became. And then we got to ask the bigger question. What about the faith in general? Because if we have faith in a higher power, where the hell's that higher power been while all these atrocities were happening, while the churches were abusing the, their power, while our, our children were being sexually molested, while our women were, were, were made missing and murdered, while our young women were being sterilized by, by church-run residential schools and, and by you know, government influence or, or church-influenced governments. We got to ask the question because, yes, there are individuals involved, but there's a larger there's a larger influence that that we hold, need to hold accountable that rests with the faith in the first place. I'm just asking that we ask that question, and we begin to hold accountable everything from the faith to the faithful. Thanks for listening. I'm John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh.